0: Today's scripture reading is 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 29. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared, from this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you... Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If if what you heard from the, the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and do not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who who practices righteousness is born of him.
1: Good morning. We have an interesting passage this morning in Romans chapter 2. The paragraph begins with an instruction that God is impartial. That He does not favor one person over the other. In the chapter, it talks about condemnation. So that there's no favoritism over condemnation. That God judges the same with each and every person. So in this, last week we were talking about how will God judge people that have never read the Bible. And we talked about how people who do go to the church and study the Bible. And we said the judgment's the same. Judgment will be based upon the amount of revelation and God's wrath. And the same is true today. It's based upon how much you know about God and God's wrath against sin. So we talked about last week, how does a church-going person pass God's test? And all people who just listen to God's revelation will not pass the test. They'll fail it. And second, we learned that only one person without a sin nature will pass the test. Jesus Christ. So, with that understanding last week, somebody might raise their hand and complain. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem fair to people who don't go to church. That doesn't seem fair to Gentiles who don't have the law. It doesn't seem fair. You're not being fair, God. You're not being fair. After all, does he not have the He doesn't know the faintest thing about the law of God. Why then should he be punished if he doesn't have the law? It's not fair. Ever hear that before? Parents, ever hear that? It's not fair. This chapter answers that question. This chapter deals with fairness. Fairness. I don't know what season it was. Maybe it was dunk, duck hunting season. It was duck hunting season, opening day. Everybody was out hunting ducks. There was on the main road, there was a check station. It said 1,000 yards ahead for the hunters, check station. About 500 yards ahead, there was a turnoff. And everyone took the turnoff who thought they would have been stopped the 1,000-yard marker, so they took the turn off to avoid detection. And at the 500 yards, when they took the turn, they found out that's that's where the tests came. That's where they were stopped. That's where they got counted for violating their tickets on how many ducks they had. They knew they had hunted too many ducks and they tried to avoid detection by taking a turnoff. And it was at the turnoff that they were caught. The interesting thing about this passage is there seems to be a number of laws written in these three verses A number of laws that every Gentile, non-believer, non-Jewish person, every person without the law of God, every person who doesn't read through the Bible in a year, doesn't get caught with. And these laws seem to come with your creation from God the Creator. He seems to give everybody internal laws. So, uh, we may be different than everybody else. We may be different than every other commentary you read. But we're going to look at a number of laws that every person has. Everybody ready? It's going to be good. This will help you in your witnessing to non-believers. Because they do have laws that God has given them, that they know they break. Here we go. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves. A law unto themselves. There is a natural problem that occurs a natural problem that occurs that shows your creation and you then will be judged by that law. Put it this way. How will a person be judged by a holy and righteous God if they've never read the Bible? If they've never read the Bible. Number one, he must perfectly keep the God-given natural moral law. Natural moral law. Now, that's, that's how I'm translating it. That's how I'm communicating it. It's natural. They don't have to do anything to get it. It comes with their body. They have a natural moral law. In other words, the sinner knows the difference between right and wrong. If you want to prove me right or wrong, try taking a non-believer's wallet. They will tell you right away, you did something wrong. Because they have a natural, built-in, moral law that God gave to them as the Creator that He is, so that they know there are right and wrong. There is right and wrong. For when the Gentiles, this verse proceeds based on the same principle in previous verse 13, that makes it applicable to Gentiles as well as those with the law. You just can't hear the law, you have to do the law. Same thing here, a Gentile has a moral law, he just can't hear the moral law, he has to do the moral law. And of course, the whole chapter is talking about being perfect perfectly keeping the law. The Gentiles, God has equipped them with a sense of right and wrong. They don't have the law. The Jews have the law. They live under the domain of the law. The Gentiles don't. It's on the basis of knowledge of the law that Jews presume to judge others. It's on the basis of having the law that Jews presume to go to heaven. And sometimes today, people think that way too. If you have a Bible in your house, that means you're going to heaven. Or if you live in America, that makes you an American Christian and you're going to heaven. You come up with all kinds of different excuses for having or not having the law. But notice the part here. You do instinctively the things of the law. You do instinctively of the things of the lost. There is a possibility that a Gentile, a non-believer, a sinner, somebody who doesn't go to church sometime tomorrow will do something good that the law says you're to do. Now, it won't be his intention, but that's basically what he'll do. He'll obey a moral law and therefore be fulfilling The Mosaic Law. He didn't do it intentionally. He did it by accident. But he will make a moral decision, quite possibly, do what the law of God wants him to do. He will do a good deed. He'll do something nice. He'll do something truthful. He'll do something just. He'll do something... uh, Not gossip, not slander. He'll do something truthfully. But he still has a sin nature. And he will not be able to keep those things perfectly. He will still sin. There's a tribe in Africa I read about. They have an interesting way of producing justice. Determining somebody did the right or the wrong thing. They line up the suspects. They have them stick out their tongue. And then the judge comes up to them and sticks a hot knife on their tongue. (laughs) And guess what happens? The people who didn't do anything wrong, in their mouth they have saliva, and guess what? The hot knife doesn't hurt as much. But the guy... Who did wrong? He doesn't have any saliva in his mouth. And the knife really hurts. So you can tell who's lying. And the judge holds him accountable. The test of the knife. I wish I knew that when my kids were little. (laughs) We would have had a lot less problems. How will a person be judged by a holy and righteous God if they've never read the Bible? Look at verse 14. Not having the law are a law to themselves, are a law to themselves. Number two, he must perfectly keep the God-given natural reason law. The natural reason law. In other words, He will make a logical decision and make a law to himself. He will have a law that applies to himself. And he will keep it. By the way, if he keeps it, he will then have a problem because the sinner knows what he has made to himself to be right or wrong. And because he has a sin nature, he will always do the wrong. You will always do the wrong. So to themselves. Uh, the Greek writers talked a lot about reason in that day. And how the reason has superior virtue to it. And guides you better than an external law could. You live by reason. Gentiles are a law to themselves. It directs attention to their nature. To their reason in their nature. And in light of reason... And divine providence, they consider that they do the right thing and not the wrong thing. And they do it by reason. So, I would put forth this morning that so far we have two laws. We have a moral law where they can tell what's good and right and right and wrong. And then a reason law where they make decisions and they say this will be a good decision for us to do, and even that, they will break. Third, verse fifteen. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternating, occur, accursing or defending them, accusing or defending them. How will a person be judged by a holy and righteous God if they've never read the Bible? Three they will, must perfectly keep the God-given, natural, personal law. Personal law. Now, I'm going I'm to put this up together so that I believe that every non-believer has a moral law, they have a reason law, and they have a personal law. All three of these laws, they try to keep in their moral being created by a moral God. They try to do these things, and it's impossible for them to do. Every law they break. They break their moral law. They, make, they, they, break, they, make, they break their reason law, and they break their personal law. They break it. Now, when the sinner breaks this law, he's making commitments to what is right. He's making commitments to what is right. In other words, he's making decisions on what would be right for him. And how he will live his life. And he will break it. He will break it. He will show that the work of the law. uh, That's an interesting word. That's a word that Paul likes to use in his letters. And we find it all through the New Testament. Only written by Paul. Peter doesn't use this word. Luke doesn't use this word. John doesn't use this word. Only Paul. The work of the law. This is a phrase that... We only find here the work of the law. By their own reason, they made a law similar to the law that was revealed by the Jews. They made this law because they're moral by creation. They made a law based upon reason. And they applied this to themselves and made it a law to them. So they personally have this law. And they break it they are not not only try to obey god's revealed law but they try to break their own laws both the jews and the gentiles will be judged on their failure to keep their laws more revelation you have <laughs> the more you're going to break the law and of course if you have special revelation with the law or what the bible says You're going to be held accountable because you know better than just right and wrong. And it's written on your hearts. Passive, written on your hearts. And it seems to indicate that God's the one that writes it on their hearts. Passive. God writes it on their hearts. Gentiles will occasionally obey their personal law, moral law, their reasonable law. They'll maybe do it by mistake. And do what God's word says to do. In their hearts, they may have feelings towards that law. But most of the time, they will break it. They will break it. Whenever their sin nature takes over, they'll break the law. Fourth. Verse 15. They may show the work of the written law, law written in their hearts, their conscience-bearing witness. Their conscience-bearing witness. How will a person be judged by a holy and righteous God if they've never read the Bible? Fourth, he must perfectly keep God's natural conscience law. Natural conscience law. Because of this conscience, the sinner knows after the action if it was right or wrong. A non-believer, after they do something either good or evil, knows it afterwards through their conscience. This Greek term is found 30 times in the New Testament. We have a lot of things that talk about conscience and how conscience works. Conscience seems to exhibit moral judgment on actions that occur. Its chief function is to evaluate a person's actions. So everyone has this conscience and evaluates actions of right and wrong, ethics. The conscience will give comfort when you do the right thing and will give you pain when you do the wrong thing. Conscience is not the law of God, but bears witness to the law of God. Present tense, bears witness, daily witness, constant witness, constant witness. Talks a lot about conscience. Let's go down this road just a couple minutes here. Conscience is important part of human nature. It's not absolute truth, trustworthy indicator of what is right, but has a basic understanding of what is right. In other words, in our Bibles, we have consciences described as good, Acts 23, as clear, 1 Timothy 3. We have consciences described as guilty, Hebrews chapter 10, corrupt, Titus 1, weak, 1 Corinthians 8, seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4, We have consciences that are oversensitive in 1 Corinthians 10. We have consciences that are not sensitive enough in 1 Timothy 4. God uses consciences in three different ways. Now, for a non-believer, their conscience will usually give a positive or negative reaction after an action was done. But for a believer, God works a lot more in your conscience. For instance, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit cleanses your conscience and puts it to work the proper way. Three basic ways God moves you, exhorts you, or changes you, or challenges you. One, the Holy Spirit working through your conscience. The Holy Spirit working through your conscience. The Holy Spirit will use your your conscience to warn you before and after you do something righteous or evil. Second, the Holy Spirit's working through the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible, you'll read something, and the conscience will be affected by what you read and will strengthen either your, your opinion or comfort or the pain that you have because you did sin. The Holy Spirit used the Word of God. Also third, the Holy Spirit working through other believers will have an effect in your life and will affect your conscience so that you, through admonishment of another believer, you'll grow, mature, make your conscience stronger so you will not give in to that temptation to sin. So, your conscience does a lot of things. Real quick, turn to 1 Peter. Keep your finger in Romans, we're coming back. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to go to a passage that talks a little bit more about your conscience. A believer's conscience 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> Here you go. Verse 16, and keep a good conscience. This is to called to believers. You're to keep a good conscience. You want a good conscience. You want your conscience to be pure. You don't want your conscience holding things against you. You want your conscience to be pure. So that the things in which you are being slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. In other words, your conscience is supposed to stand as proof that you've done nothing wrong. You as a believer are to stand upon your conscience that your conscience has done you, (laughs) accuses you of nothing. That you did it the right way. So that you're not tested or slandered by a non-believer. You don't want to fear suffering that comes for somebody slandering you. You want don't want them telling the truth about you. And you can only do that with a good conscience. An effective testimony requires a clear conscience regarding one's integrity. The conscience is not the voice of God, it's not infallible but you want a conscience that's cleansed and clean so that you can stand firm against any accusation from a non-believer. For instance, an American Indian was asked about conscience. He responded, a conscience is a three-cornered thing in my heart that stands, stands still when I'm good but when I'm bad, it turns around. And all the corners hurt a lot. Hurt a lot. If I keep doing wrong, eventually the corners will wear off. And it won't hurt anymore. And that's what happens if you don't keep your conscience under control, under control of the Holy Spirit, that your conscience will numb itself to the evil that you're doing. That's why um, that's why Proverbs says... Uh, prostitute wipes her face and said, I've done nothing wrong. That's why non-believers today can be very, very sinful and think they're a good person. That's why they can have a murderer next door and say, yes, he's a really good person, but, you know, he kills a lot of people. Because the conscience gets worn down when they do the evil. We as believers want our conscience to be strong and clear. We want it to be pure. We want it to stand up Against accusations. So we want to do the right thing. Because God's word says do the right thing. And we don't want. Our conscience to accuse, have an accusation against us. We want to repent of those sins. And ask forgiveness from God. Here we go. Number five. Go back to Romans chapter two. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternating, alternately accusing or else defending them. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. How will a person be judged by a holy and righteous God if they've never read the Bible? Number 5. He must perfectly keep the God-given natural justice law. The natural justice law. Here it seems to be saying that this non-believer gets together with other non-believers and they decide on what is right and what is wrong. They claim what is justice for the group. For the group. So, So what you have is a sinner... And other sinners can agree on what is right and what is wrong. And that's what sinners do. Their thoughts then, either accusing them or defending them. And it comes from their thoughts. In other words, moral judgments before the action occurs. They have moral judgments before the action occurs. Paul simply pointing out that those who do not have the law have convictions about ethics, what's right and what's wrong. And they adhere to those. Discussion takes place and a moral judgment is made. And it either accuses them or defends them. Every group you have, you'll find it. Every non-Christian marriage, you will find it. Every non-Christian Christian club or gang, whatever you want to call it, groupings or church. (laughs) They always have the same group decision on what is right and what is wrong. What's wrong about living by your conscience only and thinking that living by your conscience, you'll get to go to heaven. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? See, what a non-believer has is they have a conscience that's building dead works. And those dead works that he has with the ethical decisions he makes, either by his reason, by his personal decision, by his moral laws, All these things are by his group laws will be sinful and therefore not get him to heaven. Not get him to heaven. Here we go. I got a slide for you. This is a picture of the Pharaoh. He's over sitting on the right. Writing laws to live by. Writing laws to live by. You, you have this. This is, comes from 18th century B.C. 1800 years B.C. They were writing laws even then. And today we still have non-believers writing laws. And part of our problems in our society is that we have non-believers writing our laws. And those laws are not biblical. They go against what God says. Because they come from dead works. So, I believe a non-believer has at least these five laws. So, these five laws, he'll, he'll wake up tomorrow morning and he'll try to live by these laws. And I don't know how long it will take, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, before he breaks these laws. And he will sin. Because his sin nature is sinful. And he will do everything he can and he will sin, and even if he's a good person, a good sinner, and sins, let's say ten times 10, 10, 000, ten times a day. Let's say he sins ten times a day. A really good good sinner, okay? That's what ten sins in a week. That's seventy sins in a year. That's however many sins, right? And then he lives seventy years. How I many seventy thousand sins? Can you imagine going to a judge and saying, Hey, I was a really good person. I only got 70,000 tickets, you know? I, I, really, I was a good driver. I, I only got 70,000 violations driving a car. Well, a holy and righteous judge is going to throw the book at you. Because you think that's good, that's not good. And these non believers have these laws. And they make them up, personal laws, moral laws, reason laws, justice laws, whatever laws it is, laws of his conscience, whatever it is, and they're crooked. And they will break those laws. Now, Paul says there's a solution to this problem in a negative way. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Chapter 2, Romans. On that day, on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Here's the natural answer. Every non-believer has to obey this verse. How will a holy and righteous judge sinners? How will a holy and righteous God judge sinners? Number one, there will be a day of judgment. The question will be, are they ready for judgment day? Are they ready for judgment day? Now, understand here in the next four answers, I'm going to give you a, a template of how to share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying say these words or ask these questions. I want you to use it however you would say it, but communicate this to a non-believing friend you have. Are you ready for the judgment day? Are you ready for the judgment day? There's a day appointed for judgment. The Bible calls it a great white throne judgment. Judgment will take place on this day. Do I know what day it is? No, it's in the future. Give you that much. It's in the future. The day is fixed. It's fixed in the plan of God. God knows the day. The day of judgment is a day which the mouths of men will be silenced. There will not be any talking back to the judge. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20 says But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And all the earth will be silent before God. No man will have an excuse. Because there will be in that day a great judgment and a great throne. 1 John chapter 2, which we read for scripture reading, talks about verse 28, says, Little children abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at the time of coming. There will be two experiences... Confidence or shame? Confidence or shame? <clears throat> what happens when the day of judgment comes? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there'll be confidence. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there'll be shame. Verse 29, if you know head knowledge that He is righteous, you know heart knowledge that That everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Believers will react in confidence. Non-believers will shrink away. You need to abide in Jesus Christ now. Imperative, command. You are to obey it. You are to abide in Him. You abide in Jesus Christ, you'll obey Him. You obey Him, you'll do righteous works. Because you know in your head that God is righteous you will live by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will do righteousness. You'll practice righteousness. Only a person who can do one act of righteousness is a child of God. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, and power. And you will do the righteous thing on this earth so that you'll be confident when the judgment comes. But if you have a lot of... Laws, the moral law, the personal law, all these laws that you break, you will not be there with confidence. You'll be there in shame. Romans chapter 2, verse 16, the day according to my gospel, according to my gospel. Second, have they responded to the gospel message? Have they responded to the gospel message? The Gospel message is all about the Day of Judgment. Without the Day of Judgment, there's no Gospel message. If if there's no judgment, there's no Gospel. But since there is judgment, there's got to be Gospel because we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we're condemned. Have you responded to the Gospel message? My Gospel. Unless judgment is rendered as a reality... There's nothing from which a sinner needs to be saved. There's no reason for Christ to die on the cross. Everything that's done in the flesh can only serve the flesh. By nature, our self-interest is sinful. We will not need salvation. But because there's a judgment, we need the Gospel message. We need the Gospel message. We have to respond to the Gospel message. Third, How will the holy and righteous God judge sinners? Do their actions and motives show perfect obedience? Do their actions and motives show perfect obedience? God will judge the secrets of men. God will judge the conscience, the motives, the secrets God knows. That's the only way God can be the judge if He knows the secrets of men. Because He knows the secrets, He knows the actions. The motives and principles constitute and judge you. And the judge must know them. He must know your secrets and your motives. God knows your secrets. Now, that's good. I'm glad you don't know my secrets. Because if you did, there'd be no preacher up in any church anywhere. Matter of fact, there'd be nobody sitting in any pew in any church anywhere. But the things that we think will be held accountable for. And those sins deserve an eternity in a lake of fire. So either you have those sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, or you don't. So, are you ready for the judgment day? Have you responded to the gospel message? And third, are your actions and motives perfectly obedient? To Jesus Christ. Fourth, how will a holy and righteous God judge sinners? The question is, do they have a relationship with the Savior who died for their sins? Through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, our judge, is the one who died on the cross to pay the penalties for your sins. If there's ever a judge on your side, this is the One. He died for your sins. He's on your side. He's the judge. He knows the people who abide in him and know the people that rejected him. And you will be judged based upon who Jesus is to you. If your life is not ready for the day of judgment... Or if your friend is not ready for the day of judgment. By the way, did you notice what I said? Is your friend ready for the day of judgment? Not my friend. Your friend. The reason he's your friend is so that you can share with him the way of escape on that day of judgment. Is he ready for judgment day? Has he heard the gospel message and accepted it? Does he know that his motives and actions will be judged? Does he know that the Savior who died for him is the one that will judge? However you want to put that in your own words, share that with your friend. Here's an interesting picture. It's uh, Jesus Christ, the judge. He's got angels there next to him, supposedly praying for him. This was uh, painted back in 1365. (laughs) Painted on wood. I don't know, but that sounds hard to me. Painted on wood. There is a judge. I'm not sure if he looks like this. But Jesus Christ is his name. And the throne, I think, will be bigger than that but he'll judge everyone. Here you go. Will I tell my friends that they they know enough about Jesus to be held accountable? You know enough about morals to be held accountable. You have a personal law that you obey and you, you know you don't keep that. You have justice laws written by your community, by your group, by your church, and you don't keep those. And you'll be held accountable by their holy and righteous creator, the one who made you that way. Chapter 2 of Romans teaches a sinner lives a life of morals or wickedness. No holy living, no claim on eternal life, and you'll be judged by the wrath of God. Do you remember uh, Sherlock Holmes? You read Sherlock Holmes? The guy that wrote that, Sir Arthur Doyle, you know him? Well, you don't know him, but you know of him. He was a crack-up. I would have been best friends with him. You know what he did? Every once in a while, he he would send a telegram to about a dozen of his friends. Send him a telegram. He would say, quote, Fly at once. Fly at once. All is discovered. Unquote. Fly at once. All is discovered. Unquote. And every time he did it, all his friends would leave the country. <laughs> 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 Fly at once. All is discovered. Sounds like something a Fabaris would do. Fly at once. All is discovered. God knows your secrets. And if your heart is trusting Him, God knows that. If you're abiding with Jesus Christ, God knows that. If you are rebelling against God, God knows that. If you're going through the motions of trying to be good, God knows that. And a lot of good people will be at the great white throne. Matter of fact, some of them will know words. They'll say, Lord, Lord, thinking that's a Christian word. And Jesus, the judge, will say, I never knew you. So, are you ready for judgment day? Are you ready for the judgment day? Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that your spirit would use this this passage to challenge us to make us stronger to grow our faith to help us father to evangelize to our non-believing friends i pray father that you would help us to share with those who think they're a christian because they do certain things and i pray father that we would change their minds about their moral conscience About their personal laws, about their group laws, about what they think about their actions, they're going to do. And I pray, Father, that we would get them the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, so they'd be ready for the day. They'd be confident about that day of judgment. They'll be confident about the day. They'll share the gospel message. That they'll be confident in their actions and motives and be ready to meet their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, you would challenge all of us in the ways we need to be challenged. Teach us, mold us, shape us, grow our faith, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.